Farmers are well aware of the importance of honeybees, but pesticides are a reality of modern agriculture. Could the benefits of pesticides outweigh the risks to bees? A recent study from the UT Institute of Agriculture says yes. This is AgCast, brought to you by the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture. I'm Ginger Rousey. In 2015, scientists with the University of Tennessee observed 16 honeybee colonies for one year. These colonies were located in different environments, ranging from intense agricultural production to no agricultural or very little agricultural production. As you might expect, the honeybees in the high agricultural areas were exposed to more agricultural pesticides. But what is surprising is these higher levels of exposure did not appear to have an impact on these hives. In fact, according to the study, these hives grew faster and generally performed better than beehives in non-ag areas. Researchers published their findings in a recent issue of the journal Economic Entomology. We sat down with one of the co-authors, university entomologist Scott Stewart, to discuss. Here's our conversation. So in your latest research paper, were you surprised at all by the findings? Not really. You know, I kind of knew all along that uh, agriculture probably wasn't the big boogeyman that everybody thought it was for honeybees. We know there can be some issues. We know when we spray insecticides, sometimes we can harm bees, and, and we need to be aware of that. But we also know agriculture provides a lot of food resources for bees, and really that's what that paper showed, is that, you know, without agriculture, bees went hungry. Now, I, I guess somebody could make the argument if those fields were full of wild flowers and blossoms and everything, the bees would be even happier, and, and that may be true, but that's not the real world. We have to grow crops, we have to make livings, and we need to make food for the world population. Was there anything surprising in, in the study? I guess what surprised me the most was how little pesticide contamination we found in the highs and the agricultural areas. Mm-hmm. We also found in the area that we designated the non-agricultural area, which was at least three miles from any crops, that those bees found some crop. They didn't they didn't find a lot of it, but they foraged out as far as they could because those bees were going hungry. They really didn't have enough food resources. And, and you know, the area was such that really it was kind of the woods and there wasn't a lot of flowering plants for them. So I guess it surprised me just how far they will go when they have to. Yeah, how, how far will bees typically forage for food? So, you know, normally people will say something like uh, three to five kilometers is a normal foraging range, so that puts you right around three miles at the maximum distance. But, you know, when necessary, they can go farther. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won't go farther. There's adequate, adequate food sources nearby. You know, I think one of the issues we do see, as in some of our data, indicates that you need to have some variety in there. And and things besides agricultural crops, you know, agricultural crops are a good food resource, but they're really a food resource for two or three months during the year. And and that's maybe the the downside of not having some areas with wild habitat or flowers for the bees. Uh, Again, I don't think pesticides are near the impactful factor that people think they are. I think food resources and, and varroa mite. And we know varroa mite's a major problem for bees as well. In your in your study you evaluated three things, the colony weight, the colony thermoregulation, and then brood size, is that correct? Correct. Why why those three? I mean are those the main factors in determining bee health? Yeah, they really are. And I think you could think of animal health or people health as if they're growing well 
and, and putting on weight, that's an indication of good reproduction and good health. Of course, you know, it can, with people, once you get a certain size, you don't want to keep putting on weight. Right. But, you know, think of children, I yes. guess. You know, you want them to grow normally and develop and get bigger in size. And, and that's a good thing. If you start seeing where during the summer months when the population is supposed to be growing, they stay flat or declining, uh, that indicates a problem. And, and we've seen that. We've seen that for unknown reasons. We've had hives that start to grow or won't grow well at all and it seems like invariably those are the ones that struggle to make it to the fall and you might have a hive two foot away that that takes off and grows almost exponentially you almost have to think of these bees as these hives as individuals it's a bunch of bees in each one but they act like an individual and they behave differently what have you learned you've been studying bees for how many years now yeah i guess Five years, pretty mm, intensely. Pretty intensely. Yeah. So what, what's something that you've learned since in your time doing this? Well, I've learned a lot about bees. It's really been very educational because I'm, I'm, I'm an entomologist, but I'm not a, a bee expert. So, you know, I guess I learned to uh, appreciate the bees a little bit and, and handle them a little more carefully mm -hmm. also. Uh, I think, you know, as far as research impacts, I, I feel, and one of the reasons I got into this work is that we were concerned that all the hype was true, that ag was really having a serious negative effect on bees. And, and a lot of the initial hype started around seed treatments. And I just feel like really we've addressed that very well, that, that we're getting very little risk from the insecticide seed treatments uh, to pollinators and, and honeybees in particular. And, and really, if we're going to try to address the potential negative impacts of insecticides on bees, we need to be thinking about foliar applications and, and how we're making them to make sure we're not exposing bees unnecessarily. And then we also need to acknowledge there's other factors that are just as or more important. And, you know, you look at social media, you know, pesticides, 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 and, and it really, to me, it's probably several positions down on the list from the top of key factors. Uh -huh. Well, you know, talk, talking about that, and, and there are other scientific studies that talk about pesticides having a negative impact on bees. So how do you resolve your your work with what you're seeing and some of your you know fellow scientists doing? Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't want to make this, the conclusion that pesticides can't or insecticides can't have a negative effect on bees. We've observed in our own trials where we've seen some bee mortality. We call it front door mortality where they actually die at the entrance and usually that indicates they're exposed in a, in a field. Now the hives didn't suffer but individual bees suffered so we saw some bee mortality that we know was related to, to pesticides. I think it's very complicated and a lot of the studies that look at, at bee health to me, I look at them and it's like, well, you're trying to prove that insecticides are harmful to insects. And we know they are. And a lot of the studies are done in the laboratory, and those aren't very realistic settings. That beehive is very complicated. They, they may forage in an exposed crop, or they may forage in 20 different things. And, and because they're not always just being exposed in the laboratory constantly, they don't have the same reaction. So if you look at a lot of the studies, they'll talk about sublethal effects, sublethal effects on fly reproduction and they talk about using field relevant doses but I would argue a lot of those sublethal effects they're not very sublethal and the way they expose the insects is not the way the hive is exposed in the real world and you know I yes talk, you had you had a good go ahead and share your sublethal <laughs> yeah. so you know sublethal by definition means that you know uh, things that affect the behavior or how the insect performs that don't don't kill it and, you know, there's a lethal effect of a pesticide and there's no effect. And there's a lot of room in between. So, you know, 
by definition, you could say sublethal only kills 20% of the bees. And the other 80% are going to be affected, but they're not going to be dead. So to me, that's not sublethal necessarily. And, and I always give the example, and it's kind of a morbid example, that if I walked into a room with three people and shot one of them dead, on average, that's sublethal. And, you know, science, some of the scientists will define that dose, that kind of thing, as sublethal effect, but I'm, well, there's clearly lethality there. And, and the other thing you got to consider is a lot of the, when they look at the dose, they're saying it's sublethal. It's a laboratory expression where they measure mortality after 24 hours. That same dose may be very lethal if continually exposed for a week. So you really have to be aware of, of how you're defining sublethal uh, you know, I, I've made the argument if you look at sublethal effects of insecticides, probably any of them at some sublethal dose are going to have a negative effect on bees. Probably if you fed them a solution of table salt, it would have a negative effect on the bees that you can measure in, in the, at least the laboratory. You know, what, where would you like to see the future of bee research going? What, what's next? You had this study on agricultural landscapes, and what's coming up next? Well... <laughs> I think we've kicked this this neonicotinoid honeybee thing around enough. I mean, if we keep looking and keep looking, no insecticide is going to be able to survive the level of scrutiny the neonics have, and that's probably what's coming next. I think we need to really start looking a little bit more closely at, at landscape-level research, and it's much more challenging to do, and that's one reason people tend to work in small scales or in the laboratory. But, you know, we need to start looking at how exposure in the real world from agricultural crops from the bees own pests like the varroa mites I mentioned early, earlier diseases and even some of the chemistries that are being introduced by the beekeepers because uh, they're, they're using insecticides, mm -hmm. myocides in their hives that cause problems. You know, I think we need to start doing that and that's kind of what our study did. Mm -hmm. It just Unfortunately, when you do that kind of work, it, you tend to get cloudier results. You know, it, it's harder to do. It's harder to replicate agricultural field settings, you know, you can't just run 30 uh, bees in a lab, mm -hmm. you, you know, there's not, you know, we, we really were challenged in this study because really what we'd like to have had is an agricultural area that didn't use insecticides or pesticides and an agricultural area that was similar that, that did. So we'd have a control and a non-control. Well, if you can find an agricultural <laughs> area in this area that doesn't use insecticides, yeah. good luck to you. You know, we, we just don't have it. Uh -huh. And, you know, you got to keep in mind the scale we're looking at. These bees are foraging three to five miles in any direction. So all of a sudden you're talking about 20, 25 square miles to avoid overlap. It's, mm -hmm. it's just really challenging. Yeah. Well, what is, uh, if you had a take-home point for, for this study or just your thoughts on, on where we're going and where what people need to be aware of as far as bee health, what would it be? Well, I think we're spending way too much time and emphasis chasing the little things and not the big things. I think if we really want to help bee health in the long term, and I'm not talking just about honeybees, but pollinators, we need to think more about the habitat, and we need to think about pesticides, and we're doing a lot of education with our growers and applicators about applying insecticides, being careful about bees, you know, there's a lot of legislation coming out talking about when we can apply pesticides to crops that are on blooms, that's, that's kind of beyond my area, but I think we need to focus as much or more attention on on providing those bees some habitat and, and also managing the varroa mites with, with good tools that, that don't hurt the bees themselves. Yeah, that was an interesting thing in, in the article that the, the brood reproduction was best 
in the low ag area that had a lot of, well, it wasn't really maybe low ag as you would think of ag. There's quite a bit of agriculture, but then there was also urban landscape and forest. And the thought was because the bees had a diversity of pollen. Exactly. And that location's actually here. And of course, this is an agricultural experiment station, Mm -hmm. so you can't call it low ag. But if if you look in terms of the radius of that bee, Mm -hmm. you know, that's... Everything's within a half mile, essentially, those highs, and then it turns into urban area and forested area. And and my postdoc, Mohamed Abarak, who's done most of this work in recent years, you know, studied the diversity of the pollen the bees were carrying, and it seemed to correlate well with their health. And I think it makes perfect sense. There was uh, not only agricultural crop pollen, there was other pollen from, we don't necessarily know where. Some of it was from urban environments, some of it was from natural landscapes, and besides there just being diversity, it was probably diversity in time. There was things available when the crops ran out that that the other sites didn't necessarily have. And and again, generally, if you look at our study, ag was good for the bees, but having that extra diversity here seemed to help the bees, and I I think it makes perfect sense. It's just a good, varied, well-balanced diet, you know, which is what people need too, right? 